We will be in Mark 7. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Mark 7. We're going to pick up in verse 24. Mark 7, 24 to 30. Brace yourself. It's a good one. Okay. So we've been traveling through Mark. Jesus has just had an interesting confrontation, and here we are in a new, new location for Jesus. We're just going to read 24 through 30. And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. How you doing? You all right? It's a weird one, isn't it? I wasn't scheduled to preach this one. And... Um, I changed my mind and I was like, this is hot. We have got to, we've got to preach this one. I love this story. If the Bible's like a house and um, this story to me, I think at a glance is like the closet that you, you close up when your friends and neighbors come over, especially your skeptic friends and neighbors. You're like, Let's stay over here. Let's, you know, let's go to these other passages. This is not the story you love to show your friends and family, right? Um, this isn't exactly what you think of when you think of like a missionary passage, um, bringing people into the fold. Um, let me tell you up front, I don't think you need to be scared of it or embarrassed of it. I think it's really beautiful. Um, let's, so let's get our bearings, shall we? A little bit with it. Um, so you have, we didn't read it all. We're, you know, we're like skipping little pieces of, of Mark, but you got Jesus who's just left another heated argument. Um, so he's, he's just had another, previous to this little story, we didn't read it, but Jesus has had another encounter with religious leaders over cleanliness rules, purity rules. And the Old Testament's full of those. You might be familiar with them about what to do and what not to touch and how to worship and how you enter the temple, how you make sacrifices and all of that. And by Jesus' day, they just added fences upon fences upon fences upon, you know, a lot of things, a lot of rules. And he's just had major confrontation about, you know, they've come to him and said, you know, you and your disciples, you know, you don't even wash your hands before you eat. And, you know, good, good practicing Jews don't do that. And, and so, and then Jesus is, does what he typically does, which is like, you guys don't get it. You know, you talk a big game, um, 
but your, your hearts are far from God. And, and it's, he essentially in that moment, he's like, look, I declare all food clean. And um, really what defiles you, what, it's not what you touch, but it's what's coming out of your heart. I mean, this is the st- what's coming out of your heart is what makes you dirty. The things you say, the things you think. So he's really breaking all categories for people. And when categories, particularly religious categories are, are, are being stretched, expanded, broken, religious people get uncomfortable with that. And so they're uncomfortable with it and they're, they're really offended by him. And so, um, and as much as Jesus isn't necessarily scared of a confrontation, I don't think, he, he doesn't go looking for it. And so he does what I do. That's just why I'm really, I feel like I'm being like Jesus when I'm running from conflict because I see it in the Bible. Jesus goes away when there's not enough conflict happening. So he, he actually heads north up to this, this region, Tyrants. this is modern day Lebanon. It's up on the bank of the Mediterranean. That's where he's gone. So he's headed up there to, to, to do what we don't really know, maybe just escape all the heat. And it doesn't last, doesn't last very long, obviously. Uh, we're told that. Um, and this needy woman, right? She, she comes up to him and throws herself down at his feet, begging for help. Um, which isn't uncommon for us to encounter as we read the gospels, um, except this is not the Jesus you like, right? I mean, this is not the side of Jesus you wanna see. This is, did he just call someone a dog? Like, you know what I mean? Like the, try this with your kids, like a Bible lesson at night. They're gonna be like, well, I don't understand. This is a strange story. Um, now the scene is, the way it's told, and Matthew tells it too in chapter 15. So if you wanna read that, that's a helpful one to read as well. There's some different details in there. Um, it's charged full of tension. The way Mark writes it, the way Matthew writes it as well, there's, they're, they're building all of the tension. They're including little details um, that want you to understand how um, racially, eth- ethnically, culturally, religiously, this moment, like it's charged full of tension, you know? And um, like, first of all, you got Jesus in enemy territory. This region, Tyre, this Sidon, this is an area where the people there um, likely pay no attention, um, you know, uh, to the things of God. Um, it's like I said, it's modern day Lebanon now, but up back then, um, this, is, this, is, this is very much Jesus out of his home territory in Galilee. And he's up in a region um, that is known for being antagonistic and hateful and even violent towards the Jews. And they have a long history of that. I'll just read you one passage. You could go to many. Here's Joel, prophet Joel, the Old Testament. Uh, This is chapters three. God's speaking through the prophet. And he says, what are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the regions of Philistia? Are Are you paying me back for something? If you're, if you're paying me back, I, I'll return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You've sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Doesn't sound like God likes them very much, does it? And so this is the region that Jesus is in. <laughs> you know, this is where he's at. And so here's Jesus up there with this long history of hatred towards the Jews and the Jews hate them back. I mean, the Jews uh, don't like them very much either. And so, so, so this scene is very charged because one, one you have, a, she's a woman, okay? And you know, she's a woman approaching a holy Jewish teacher and throwing herself at his feet. Okay, that's culturally inappropriate in their day. Not only is she a woman, she's a Gentile 
and Syrophoenician. So she's from that region. So she hails from a people group. Matthew says she's Canaanite. And if you know anything about Canaan, you know, I mean, so she's from an area that largely hated the Jews. And so <laughs> what makes this so fascinating is in Jewish terms in that day, she is declared unclean by just talking and touching her. You would defile yourself. Bear in mind, Jesus has just had a heated debate over what? Cleanliness. <laughs> He's just left a conflict over cleanliness. Here's an unclean woman who's throwing herself at him for help. All right. Now, this woman literally has, which I want you to recognize is she has the worst possible, again, in, in ancient cultural terms, she has the worst possible resume that you could have approaching Jesus for help, which by the way, should tell you something for those of you who are on the fence of becoming a Christian or whatever it is, or you wrestling with your faith in some sense and you look at your background and your sense of you know, what you've done, what you've been a part of, what you've experienced and you go, I don't know. Look, it doesn't get much worse than this. So bear that in mind. So you have the worst possible resume heading to Jesus to help get help from Jesus. Um, and so Mark, doesn't include this, but Matthew does. And I think it's important. So I want to tell you this, but um, Matthew tells us that she also throws herself down at his feet, but that she, first thing she says is she calls him Lord, son of David. Now um, that's royal language. That's Matthew 15, verse 22. That's royal language. So that means that she likely has some understanding of all the, you know, Israel's promises that through the line of King David, there would be a savior king. So she's got, she intuits that some level. She's heard it. She's, she, she's read about things about it. Something in the story tells us that this woman knows something about Israel's history, the promises, the prophets, the plans, all of it. And so that's a really, really great way of addressing Jesus, even though you're totally supposed to be an enemy. And then after the request, you know, she's like, please help me. My daughter is possessed at home, please. And everything you know of Jesus up to this point is Jesus helps people. And this is, he gives her the cold shoulder, right? It's like, there's not much more cold shoulder than this. Verse 27, and he said to her, well, let the children come to me, right? Let the children be fed first is what he's saying. Or it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It's like, <laughs> so strange. Okay, okay. So <laughs> first understand something, right? It's a riddle. Did you catch that? It's like, it's a mini parable. It's what he's done. He, it's a little story. And we've read a couple of parables up to this point in our in our journey through Mark, but it, it's a little story that's giving us deep truth if you can decipher it, right? So those of you that are like, oh, I love riddles. It's like, well, here's a riddle, right? And, and that's what he's laid out in front of her. So to unpack it, to decipher it, you, you need to have some kind of familiarity with the storyline of the Bible. Mark doesn't like in parentheses unpack it for you because he's likely uh, writing this to a group of people that are familiar with the storyline. And so you, you and I, we just let's make sure we understand the storyline of, of the whole Bible. I think I can do it for you quickly. 
all right? If, if you, in case you're not familiar with it. But it's essentially to decipher this little riddle, you need to know something about from the, from the very beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, like what's the plan? What's the storyline? What's the plan? Well, the storyline of the Bible goes like this. Since the beginning, you know, humanity breaches a trust in relationship with God, right? I don't, you know, they, I don't think God's really in our, has our best interest in mind. We want to do it our own way and it goes terribly awry, right? And so they get cast out of his presence and all of that and everything just starts to begin to unravel. And so um, everything has gone haywire since that point. Because of that, we've been dealing with broken lives, broken families, broken economic systems, broken ecological systems, I would even say. You name it, it's all kind of breaking apart because of this. Because of our idea of like that, you know, we don't, we can do this on our own. We don't really trust you. But the interesting thing that the Bible's trying to say is, is that despite all the appearances and all the ugliness, the Bible's a storyline that says, but yeah, but God created it good. And even though it's gone terribly haywire because of our rebellion and our lack of trust, God is like, I'm not done. And I'm not gonna abandon it. And as much as it all looks like curse, I'm gonna bless it. And the way that I'm gonna do it is, is really strange. It, it, it's like, I'm gonna do it through human beings. Like, like, like I'm, gonna use, I'm gonna make partners to be a part of this whole project. And so, um, you know, all of that. And so you go back to Genesis 12, this is where it kind of enters in. This is not far into your Bible if you're reading from the very first page and you see God promising, calling out one guy, right? Remember him, Abraham? calling one guy and he says to this one guy, through you, you become a nation, that's Israel. And then through this nation, Israel, through that nation, he'd do what? Remember what he said he's gonna do? This is Genesis 12, verse three, bless all families of the earth. That's the storyline. Uh, here's what I'm gonna do. You broke it, you, you, you've messed it all up, but I'm gonna fix it through one guy that becomes one big nation, becomes one big people group. And then that through that people group, it's gonna bless everybody on earth. But if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know how badly we get this. I mean, we're, we're supposed to, this, this people group is supposed to start Israel. And through Israel, there's supposed to be a light to the nations. They're supposed to live in a particular way, um, like a city on a hill that, that loves and, and is, is, has justice, charitable and good to the poor, good to their neighbors, all of these things. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know how horribly they do it. They do what people typically do, right? They lie, they cheat, they steal, they get violent, all of these things. They, 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 they worship other gods, all of this. And so instead of being a blessing like God, God calls them to be, they sadly end up being just like everybody else. Okay, you, you, you all right? You still with me? You good? So this of course is where Jesus comes in. Insert Jesus into this. He's the true son then that comes into the scene. Once you open up your New Testament, He's the true son of Israel that's come to truly bless and be a blessing. He's the one that's like, all right, he's gonna live it out. And he's gonna be able to accomplish everything that Israel was supposed to accomplish through his life, his death, his resurrection, bearing the penalty of all everybody's failures and sins. He's gonna bear it on himself on the cross, resurrect all of that. And he's gonna create the blessing that's supposed to happen. And he's gonna create a whole new humanity. Okay, but here's the thing. There's a timing to the whole plan. It's gotta come through Israel. That's, that's Jesus, he's an Israelite. To Israel, that's the Jews. 
before it spills out into the, the whole of the earth. So the outsiders. See, so by the time you get to Paul, this is what Paul is working out. Like he's working it out and preaching it to everybody. Here, Romans 1, 16. It's just plain language right here for Paul. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What does it say? <laughs> to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. So there's an order. There's a timing to the whole thing, right? So all of this is what Jesus is alluding to here. The children, so if you break down the riddle, I know you probably, half of you are bored to tears right now, but you just got the whole story of the Bible, all right? So cut me some slack. I'm trying to do a lot. I'm trying to cover a lot of material. So, so, so here's what the riddle, right? Let's just break down the riddle. The, the children are who? The children are who? The, the children are the Jews. Um, the bread in, in, in the riddle is the mercy of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the salvation of the deliverance. And, and, and who are the dogs, right? Well, they're the outsiders, I mean, dogs in Jesus's day is a commonly used like pejorative term for a Gentile. Everyone would have known that, including the woman. So, so, so back to the interaction. Is Jesus saying no? Did he say no? <laughs> like she slows herself down. Oh Lord, son of David, help me. My daughter's possessed. I need help. And does he say no? No, <laughs> not technically. There's, there's not a no there when you really look at it. It's more like a question. She asks for help. And what Jesus does is what Jesus does a lot of times, which kind of frustrates us, but he just is like, I've got a riddle for you. And I said, well, I'm not in the mood for riddles. But... <laughs> <laughs> that's what he does. And so it's more like she asks for help and she gets back a question. It's essentially Jesus's way of saying this. She comes to him, I need your help, please. I know I'm an enemy, but I need help. And Jesus says, justify your request. Justify it. That's what he's essentially said to her. It's, it's sort of like the, if Jesus is like a parent um, in the riddle, which essentially that's what he's doing, and he's fixing up a salvation dinner, uh, it's only right, he's saying, for the food, right, to get offered up first and foremost to his own kids before it gets and spills over to the neighborhood kids. I feed neighborhood kids all the time. Like it would be weird if I fed the neighborhood kids and I ignored my own, Right? So just, just plainly, like in everyday kind of how we live it out. And so even worse, <laughs> even worse, it would be horrible for, for him as if he's the parent of a home to fix up a salvation dinner and skip the kids and give it to Fluffy the dog first. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's essentially saying, right? Wouldn't that be bad? Is that what I should do? So justify what you're asking. And he's putting her in a position to think. And so uh, what's she gonna do? She's asked for help. She's in a terrible situation. She's horribly desperate. And she's given a riddle. 
a really uncomfortable riddle, <laughs> we might add. And what's she thinking? I mean, is she, if she, is she thinking, did he just call me a dog? Right? Yeah, I mean, she gets that she, he's calling her, in essence, a dog, kind of, in an indirect way. And this is where a lot of people would hear something like this and be like, well, I'm offended. I don't have to listen to this anymore. I'm gonna walk away, which teaches you something about discipleship, by the way. But she doesn't. She doesn't drop her head. She doesn't do what my kids do, you know, and walk off. She stays put, right? Because had she got offended, and this is really, really important when you read the Bible, when you pray and you feel like you feel like you're being invited into something that's difficult by the spirit had she just got offended she would have shut down all her curiosity and all her ability to learn and she would have shut down all opportunity like all the opportunity goes out the window but instead she stays engaged and so she what's amazing is she doesn't do that she doesn't get offended and, and technically what she does, and she doesn't even really argue back, but what she does, and I love this. I mean, this is the stuff, when you read this stuff in the Bible, it's like, oh my gosh, this is brilliant. What she does is she, she does what Jesus has wanted everybody in the storyline to do every time he gives a parable. What she does is she listens to the parable and instead of being offended, she inserts herself into it. She lets it claim her and change her without, you know, she lets, she lets go of her pride. She lets go of her egoism, all of that. She lets go of her sense of know-it-allism and she enters the parable on the parable's own terms that he's laid out and lets it, you know, rework her reality. And so she answers him. Let's look at it again. Verse 28. So after he says, is this right? Like if I'm a parent in a house and I fix up the salvation dinner and, and I give it to Fluffy the dog, is that right? Is that what you think? And she says, well, well, I see your riddle, right? Yes, Lord, so she says. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Oh, touche. This is good, friends, this is, this is good. She knows and accepts her place as an outsider. That's what she's done. Instead of being like, he just called me a dog. What she's doing is she's saying, yeah, okay, so I'm a dog. Okay, dogs in your house get really good. Game recognizes game. You see it? Like, do you see it? That's what's happening in this moment. So she knows and accepts her place as an outsider to the original house, the original children. She understands she's not a Jew, but she also knows eventually, eventually based on the storyline that it spills off the table. She gets that. She understands that it's all families of the earth will be blessed. She understands it, she intuits it. So she's so humble, the scraps off of Jesus's table are better than any banquet that she could access on her own apart from him. You see, 
It's beautiful. Her persistence shows that she's, what she's doing is she's just wrestling with the timing. She's trying to cut the line. You, you, ever, you ever cut a line? I go to, you ever go to Costco? I see line cutters all the time, right? Like I, I need to be more bold. Like I go to Costco and I just keep getting cut. Like I'm like, because I'm shy. I need to be more like this woman. She's like, no, I'm trying to get blessed. I know that there's a timing. I, I, I'm trying to break through the waiting period. I want it to happen now. Like I know that the kingdom's gonna come and eventually when the kingdom comes in its like fullness, everybody gets blessed. And I get that there's a timing to it, but I want my kingdom now, right? She's, she's like a holy version of Veruca and Willy the Wonka. I want it now, daddy. <laughs> like you, that's what she's doing. I just watched that this weekend. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> my kids were watching Veruca looking at me going, are you kidding me? And I'm like, I know. <laughs> That's why she's a bad egg. <laughs> she goes down the chute. <laughs> uh, so here's the thing, right? What you need to see in the interaction, the game recognizing game thing is what's, what's going on is, and this is really, really cool. And I hope that this is, if, if you get nothing else, get this. What she's doing is she's contending with Jesus to do what Jesus already wants to do. You see that? Like, I know what you, what, if he's, if he's saying, justify your request to me, she says, well, okay. I know what you want, you, I know what you plan on doing. I want you to do it now. That's what I want. I'm not trying to control you. I'm trying to say, please do what you're already gonna do. And what, here's, man, here's what's so cool. Do you realize this is the first person in Mark's gospel to hear a parable and understand it? You, you just go back just a little bit. We didn't read it. But when he's doing all of this, talking about cleanliness stuff and having this big debate, his disciples, this is verse 17 in chapter seven. We didn't read this, but I'll just read it to you here. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, are you, off, are you without understanding? <laughs> Do you guys not get this? I keep doing these things and showing you these things. Here's a dog and she's the first one to hear a parable and unlock it. So it tells you something about what kind of person gets Jesus and what he's up to? And I would just say this, don't put those kind of people in a box. You don't know who's actually gonna really get Jesus. And Jesus, of course, is wildly impressed with the fact that she's contending with him on his own terms, right? Because verse 29, and he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demons left your daughter. That's all he does. He doesn't even, go, he doesn't even travel there. He's just like, I say the word and it's done. And she did, and she went home. I love the fact that she doesn't even hang around. She's like, I got business to tend to, my daughter. And Jesus is like, that's fine, go. Matthew's version heightens it a little bit. Verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 28. He, has, he says, Jesus says this back to her. 
Oh, woman, great is your faith. Oh, woman, you are impressive. All right, so what, it's a cool story, isn't it? I mean, just all go home. We've got a cool story today. And you know the whole Bible. <laughs> what, what can you take away from the, what, but, but, you know, what I've been wrestling with all week is like, what can you take away from it? Like what about the scene teaches you about what it means to like be someone who believes in Jesus is, is trying to follow Jesus and figure that out. Well, let me begin with a question. Do you think Jesus rewarded and praised the woman because A, I have a riddle for you, right? A, did she get rewarded and praised because A, she, deep down, she understood the mission and character of God. Like because she gets the mission and character of God, she gets rewarded, A. Or B, because she's humble and persistent, with God. Like she's humble and persistently asking and asking, do, do it, do it. Doesn't give up, doesn't walk away, but keeps after it. So which one? Something, something tells me it's not just both, but in, in some ways it, it's, there's an order. It's like A plus B equals reward, right? Like, so A leads to B, all of that. Like the more you understand that Jesus is interested in bringing blessing to really hurt and failed people and making you a part of that blessing project, the more you begin to hunger seeing it happen and you persistently keep after it. You keep showing up and plead for it. What happens is you gradually, like the more you understand what his intentions are, what his desires are, and you keep inserting yourself into those desires and saying, how can those desires become my desires? The more you do that, the more you get humble and persistent. This is why the church so often, the less they understand the character of God and the less they understand the mission of God, that's where all of the gratitude starts to throw out, go out the window, right? The entitled, the, enti- the, kid, the kids in the house start to become entitled and unbearable. Because it's like, they're so far from actually understanding who God is, what he's like, and what he actually wants to do. He wants to bless all families of the earth. That's the insiders and the outsiders. And so you stop trying to control Jesus on your terms, which is something I know if you have like a pulse, you're struggling with. You stop trying to control Jesus on your terms and you instead start contending with Jesus on his terms. Like churches start having meetings to pray where they're praying for the very things that God says he wants to do. Imagine that, wouldn't that be a crazy thing? What if we started to pray to God, God, here's what your word says you wanna do. Do it, do it now. So that's one lesson I think we can take away is let the woman give you a vision for contending with God for what God wants. You know, the church is in need of men and women who get a real hunger and heart to contend for God, to do what he says he wants to do. And I just think that that looks like people, um, this might be the, for you something new, but I think that this practically just looks like people who get, who, who put the scripture in God's face, 
like in prayer, like on your knees, whatever posture you take and say, here's what it says. I'm putting it in your face. You do it. You're like, oh, that's bold. Yeah. Well, he seems to be impressed with that. He seems to be impressed with it. Which by the way, you'll see this in the Old Testament. You look at, Look at Moses interceding for the people when they do what people do, which is dumb stuff. And then he's like, he argues on their behalf and he, but he argues on their behalf and he says, look, if you don't do this, then it's your name. It's your sake. It's, it's your reputation that's on the line. And God's like, you get it. Okay. That's man contending, like being able to contend that way is just like a new level of discipleship for some of us. Which, but also means we need to get an understanding of what he's up to. Like, what does he want? And so I think this one teaches me how Jesus is so impressed when disciples start wrestling with the timing of his kingdom blessing. Like, I want the kingdom to be manifest in my life and in my house and in my neighborhood and in my city and in my world. Now I'm impatient. Like we're impatient for careers, for marriages, for kids, for reputations. We're, we're impatient for a lot of stuff. I'm not trying to guilt trip you about that, but daggone, what if we got impatient for the kingdom? What if we got really impatient to see the kingdom be manifested in every little facet around us? The crazy thing is God actually might show up. He might actually start to move amongst us. And so what would it look like for you, for me, for us to say, hey, God, please, please, maybe, maybe I'm trying to cut the line or something. You know, I, I get it. I, I, I've, been, I've had a long history of that. I'm, I've been trying to cut the line in everything in my life. I've been trying to cut the line in my marriage. I've been trying to cut the line in my with kids stuff. I've been trying to cut the line with my job. I've been trying to cut the line with my sense of achievement. You know, like rush and rush and rush these things. Uh, you know, I'm trying to cut the line in terms of my sense of belonging and find a community where I feel like I really fit. You know, I want it now, all of that. I, I got a long history with that, you know? And I want to work on it, Lord. But what would it look like to say, hey, I, but you know what? I really want to cut the line on receiving more of your presence. Like I want, the, I want to rush you into my life, please. I want more of you. I want more of your transformation. I want more of your blessing. In my experience, it's probably not gonna take off in any of our lives unless like this woman, we begin to feel a deep sense of desperation. Because I thought a lot about this. I'm like, you're gonna tell them this and none of us are gonna do it. And I'm not like, this is because we're people. I mean, the, the truth of it is she's like this because she's desperate. You know, you go to the emergency room with a bellyache and they say, here's your number. You're gonna have to wait a while. And you're like, Okay, you go to the emergency room with your kid who you think is dying and they give you a number and you're like, no, 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 no. I need to see someone now. Desperation has a way of like transforming the way we interact with God. And I just think that like, we're not gonna actually be people that contend with God unless we start to get in touch with a sense of desperation. And God help us, the church is in need of a sense of desperation. We're so complacent. It's like, we're just boring, you know? And so for some of you, that, that's ready-made. Like circumstances have delivered that. You are in a place of crisis and it's caused you to feel a great sense of desperation. 
So you don't need anybody to talk to you about this. And I would just say, friend, you're in a wonderful spot to start to feel the presence of God. Like get, throw yourself down in front of him and start to talk to him. But some of us are very comfortable, very comfortable. There's not a lot of crisis in our life. And so it's like, I, for us, I would say this, we, we need to get in touch. We need to get in touch, you know, in some way with our own discontent. I think that's the only way you're gonna manufacture a sense of desperation for, you know, by the spirit. I think it's like what I'm talking about is cultivating like a sense of longing in you, like a holy longing in you. And, I, and the way I, I think you can do that is you gotta put habits in your life, like Bible reading and prayer, these sorts of things. You gotta put as much of these in your life as you possibly can that involve you reflecting on your own sense of discontent. Like what's missing? You know, like there's so, your life has so much busyness and noise. You, you're, you're very distant. Some of us, some of us are very distant from our deep sense of discontent. It's there way down deep, but you got to like sit still enough, reflect long enough to start to come in contact with your sense of discontent. That th- not, nothing you've achieved is actually fulfilling you. And I'm not saying these things are bad things, but it's like the marriage, the job, the friends, the kids, the whatever, like, you know, none of, none of it is actually scratched the itch inside you that's deep. Yeah, that's, that's because you're, you, God has de- designed that in you. You were designed for the kingdom. So like get in contact with that sense of discontent. Then you'll see the contending come out in you. So put those rhythms and practices in place to sit still, to pray, to re- reflect. Let it fuel your longing. Let it fuel your contending to get more of God. Lesson two would be this. The last takeaway from this would be this. Let the scene fuel your persistence with God. Your persistence with God. Like here, here, here would be a million dollar question of the little story we read. Here's your reflect. I'm giving you homework for the rest of the afternoon. Here's your reflective homework or creative writing project if that's more of your style. Gosh, I would love those submissions, but did Jesus act in the moment with this woman? In other words, did he allow himself, his mind to be changed? Did she, did she change his mind in this moment? Like based on her response, you know, did he respond a different way or did Jesus stage the whole thing? So think of it this way. Did, did the woman draw out Jesus's mercy or did Jesus draw out this woman's understanding, humility and persistence? Who drew who out? I'm not gonna tell you, what, but I will say, what I, what, you can just choose your own adventure. But here's what I would say. Here's what I would say though, which is kind of me telling you what I think, but it just depends on... <laughs> how much you trust my words on it. Something tells me that something fishy is going on here. I already alluded to this earlier. <laughs> Let's just take communion. <laughs> I'm rounding third, trust me. So, here's something that tells me something interesting is going on. <laughs> Jesus has just had 
and I told you this earlier, he's just had a discussion about cleanliness rules and he has declared that all things are clean and that what's going on on the inside of your heart defiles you, not what you touch or what you talk, you know, all of that, who you talk to. And here he is talking, he's deliberately gone up to a region of unclean people. And not only that, after this, right after this, you just keep reading if you want, you have to do a little bit of homework, but just after this, he ends up feeding 4,000 people after this scene. And guess who they happen to be? Gentiles. <laughs> so who's drawing out who? So maybe Jesus was staging all of this for everyone, not just for the woman, but for his disciples who are tr- slowly learning how this works about what he's really like and what he's really up to. And so he's doing that by making you wait, think, wrestle, persist, all of that. And so I would just say this, don't let a season, if you're someone who's actually wrestling with God, whether you're brand new to the faith, thinking about coming into the faith, or you've been in the faith for a really long time, if you are in a season or you ever enter into a season where you feel like you're getting rebuffed, like you feel like you're getting silence from Jesus, do not give up. It might be a sign that he's drawing you out in a particular way. Don't let it push you away from Jesus. Let it draw you into Jesus. Don't let an angry, offensive, prideful group of insiders that claim the church push you away. Don't let the discomforts of God that like what he seems to put us through, push you away. Let the story remind you that God wants to bless. God wants his mercy to spill out. But he also really, really does want us to wrestle and to think and to to be challenged. And he really wants to draw out our desires. And that comes through silence and hard conversations and hard challenges. So lean into those moments if you feel. And so, you know, again, choose your own adventure with it. But all I would say is, is recognize that God's plan is to bless all of the families of the earth. And he's doing it through his son, Jesus. And it's your decision what you do with it. And I hope you're drawn into him more this morning. And so as we take communion and remembrance, that here's the thing. And I didn't get into all of this, but when Jesus did this with his disciples and he instituted this at, at dinner time and he was trying to give us some way, a physical, tangible way for us to, to try to understand fully what he's up to. When he took that bread and he, and he broke it and he said, this, is, this represents my body broken for you. And, and he took the cup and he blessed it. And this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. You know, it's his blood that's poured out for us. As we take part in communion every week, just remember this. It's supposed to remind us as we proclaim the Lord's death, that none of us deserved a seat at the table. None of us. But Jesus makes room at the table for outsiders like me, because that's the kind of character he has. And and, and he's made that possible by his life, his death and his resurrection. And so like, just let it stir your own humility. Let Let it stir your own sense of gratitude this morning as you leave. Pray over what you need to pray you know, but be drawn in deeper into Jesus, not away from him. If he's abrasive, if, 
if he's challenging, maybe there's a reason for that. So don't give up. Let's pray.